0: You want to speak, Sina? No, Give me a second. Uh, uh, heat, you have tea? Uh, yeah. He says, the
1: good news is, um, okay. the, I see the good news is that you have 24 hours to live. He says, the bad I news is, I've been looking food for food you since yesterday. <laughs> oh,
0: just sweet and low. Don't worry. It's uh, regular pink sweet and low, is okay? Yeah. Oh, okay. One. Oh, you have it? I have pink sweet and yeah. low. Yeah. That's okay. I know, I only use a little. Just give me a little. I'll pocket. give it to you. Thank okay.
1: you. So Okay, no problem. Okay, so today we're doing Vayetze. So Vayetze comes, uh, Behemshech follows last week's Parsha. And it's interesting that there's almost a, a whole gap here that is missing between these two Parshas. Because in last week's Parsha we read how Yaakov... Took the blessings that Yitzchok wanted to give to Esau, and Yaakov took the blessing. His mother advised him to pretend that he is Esau, He went and he got the blessings. And so once Esau found out, yeah. You know, so why did
2: you why do you say that he, he didn't see Yitzchok didn't seem to feel bad at the end when when Aesop came to him like crying. He didn't like really, oh my God, uh, your brother stole the blur- the brock or anything like that. He didn't seem to like feel so
1: bad. I mean, not not only didn't he seem to feel so bad, but on the contrary, after he found out, as Rashi brought out, he was actually saying, because Esau was complaining why was his name called Yaakov? Yaakov can also mean somebody who deceives somebody else. So he says, was his name called Yaakov in vain? He deceived me twice, he says. He says, deceived you twice, what was the other time? He says, well, now he took my uh, bracha, but he also the first time he took my bechora. he took my right for the firstborn. And Yitzchak says, hey, you know what, I was actually a little bit concerned uh, that I'm giving a blessing to a younger, uh, son before the older one. Now that you're telling me that he got the, uh, Bechorah from you, that you sold him the Bechorah, so that means that he's the older one. So he says, Gamboruch yes. So he said, let him be blessed. So he actually, uh, gave Rashi, makes a point that, it shouldn't be said that he took it because through deception. So the the blessing isn't worth anything. He reaffirmed it by saying, "Gam Baruchi, yes, so should be blessed." But
2: can the firstborn sell his? Uh, he supposed to get two shares, you know. Keep. But in,
1: uh, thank you. In the case of in the case of uh, of twins, and especially in the case of Yaakov and Esau it's not so uh, obvious, you know, I know one of the Sikhs, the Rebbe mentions this, it's not so obvious that uh, Esau is really the Bechor because, you know, Rashi points out already that uh, when twins are born, the one that is really conceived first, uh, actually is born the second. Rashi says it's like uh, putting in a in a in a narrow uh, pipe. The one that comes in first comes out last. So, in one sense, uh, Yaakov was actually. Created first, he was conceived first. Even though Asa was uh, was born first,
2: but that, that's that's the important part, isn't it? Who's born first? Because yes. it's like the firstborn, the person first who breaks the woman's whatever he he gets the he gets the bracha. He, he's the, the he's the firstborn. Other babies with a different woman, he she that other baby would still be the firstborn, right?
1: Yeah, you're you're, you're absolutely correct, but the I'm trying to say that when we're dealing with twins it's not as uh, it was simple as it would be like if they were born in two separate, you know, like in two separate pregnancies. And also, like, you apart. But here, there is still, you know, a little bit uh, of a, a complaint or an argument from the second one that he is, in a way, in some aspect, first. But also, Rashi pointed out when it says his hands was holding on and the heel of Esau, he was trying to prevent it because he argued that he was born first. But in any event, uh, Esau... Uh, was very angry with Yaakov, because Yaakov oh. took the blessings from him.
0: Excuse me, just
1: up and tell them, <laughs> uh, Yaakov took away the blessings from Esau, so Esau was very upset with him, and Esau wanted to kill him, and then his mother uh, recommends and asks Yaakov to go ahead and leave until he will subside, and go marry a wife, go to her family in Choron, to Lavan, her brother Lavan, over there, and he should go there, and wait till his brother's anger subsides, and then she will go back, and she will take him back from there. So that's the end of last week's Parsha. Now the final end of last week's Parsha is that it talks about, actually, about Yishmael that it talks about that uh, Yishmael saw that the daughters of Chait he was married to two women of the daughters of Chait. that was the place that they lived in that area, he says he said that, the, that his parents they weren't happy with them and they sent Yaakov away to get a wife from his family so he himself also went to Yishmael and um, he married the daughter of Yishmael but it's interesting that the, uh, the verse says that he married the daughter of Yishmael, who was a sister of Nevayot. Meaning her brother was Nevayot. So Rashi finishes off last week's with the passion and he says why is the Torah telling us that he married the daughter of Yeshmoel who was the sister of Nevayot. I mean, what do we care now to mention that the sister was, that the brother that the, the, the woman that Yishmael married had a brother whose name was Nevayot and Rashi actually says because Yishmael was the one that arranged for the marriage, uh, made the engagement basically but it was the brother Nevayot that married her and the reason why he did that is because Yishmael died at that period of time From this that we say that Yishmar...
2: So the brother married the sister?
1: The brother took arrange for the marriage of the sister. Was the brother to teach us? But not that he didn't marry. No, no, no. Oh, oh, oh. no the brother arranged. In oh. other words, the father was gone. Yeshmoel died, so that Neviot is the one that helped with the marriage of his sister so to, he was to what? So that's why uh, that he made the marriage to Esav. That's why he was mentioned. But there's a reason for that. So why do we need to know that? Because that places, that puts it in perspective. And I I don't want to spend all the time, because then we'll be talking about last week's Parsha versus this week's Parsha. But that gives us the age of Yaakov, that Yaakov was 63 years old. Because by knowing that Yishmael died then, and we know that Yishmael was older 14 years from Yitzchak, and we know that Yitzchak was 60 years old when uh, Yaakov and uh, Esau were born, and we know from the previous parsha that Yishmael lived for 137 years, giving all these factors, that places Yaakov at age 63, at that particular time, when he took the brachas and was being sent away, of, Yaakov was 63 years old. Yaakov and Esav, they're twins. So they, they both were 63 years old at that particular time. Now, but the interesting thing is that when you read it in the Parsha, when you come from here, our week's Parsha begins with Yaakov leaves Be'er Shava. he goes to Choron. Now when you calculate up, and Rashi cal- does the calculations for you, when you calculate up, the whole story that Yaakov spent in the house of Lavan and then when he how long he lingered in the way and then when Yosef was born we also bring in Yosef here because that helps us calculate uh, the age and then we know that Yaakov comes back to Egypt to meet up with Yosef he meets with Pharaoh and he says he asks him how old are you? he says I'm 130 years old
2: but does he say 130 and
1: 70? No, that's separate. No, that's by 127, that's, with, that's, that's separate. Okay. No, that's good. But over there, we're talking about just the 130. Now, if you figure out, he left at 63, and it was 130 over there. But when you go through the stories that took place with Yaakov, there's 14 years missing over there. Because uh, according to the uh, calculations, there is uh, a, a Yaakov could not be 130 years over there. Once you start add, adding up how long he stayed in Levin's house and knowing about when Yosef was born, when you go through all the calculations, you'll see that Yaakov was actually 14 years younger than 130 based upon... The recorded things that are taking place in the parsha, so that would actually place him more like instead of 130, it would place him more like uh, 116. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so 116. By if you add up all the other stuff, so. How did he become 130, Yaakov? It's it's a little it's a, it's it's mysterious, but this is known throughout you know the commentators and Rashi also references later on that before Yaakov actually went to Choron, he spent 14 years in the yeshiva of Shame v'Ever. Now we learned already before Yaakov ishtam, Yosef Halim Yosef, he said, by he he went and he was in the school of Shame and Ever, and those 14 years are sort of not mentioned in the Torah uh, explicitly, we don't find because the Torah says he leaves Be'er Sheva meaning he leaves his parents and he goes to Charon. He goes so in the verse it almost seems like he's going out, you know, directly going from there and he's going to Choron, but the truth of the matter is in between he spent 14 years now, one of the reasons the Torah doesn't elaborate by it Because we know also that Yosef was separated from his father, Yosef was separated from his father Yaakov for 22 years. Yosef was sold when he was 17. And when Yaakov comes back and meets with Yosef, Yosef at that time was 39. So that's 22 years later. So Yosef was separated from Yaakov for 22 years. It's brought down the reason why he was separated for 22 years. That was sort of a punishment for Yaakov, because Yaakov left his father Yitzchak also for 22 years. Now, of course, you know, we say punishment, he left with permission, and his parents told him to go there. But still, at their level, they did not do the mitzvah of Kibbutz Avaim. So because Yitzchak, because Yaakov didn't do it to Yitzchak, that's why he was separated from Yosef 22 years. Now, if you go through the calculation, you see that the 22 years begin from the time that Yaakov... Spent, went to actually Choron. he worked seven years as we'll see he worked seven years for Rachel. he was strict he gave him Leah he worked for another seven years then he worked another six years and he lingered another two years in the way so he was away for 22 years until he goes back to his parents to 'er Beersheba when Yaakov goes back after 22 years but according to what I've told you just in the beginning, that it was another fourteen years, he was actually away more than twenty two years, twenty two plus fourteen. He was away like thirty six years. But for those fourteen for those fourteen years that don't count because he went to learn Torah and he went that was not held against him. That was not counted. And that is why the Torah sort of made it like inconspicuous, the Torah doesn't mention it to uh, seem as if Yaakov went immediately, it was only 22 years, but there was another 14 years, Rashi even in this week's Parsha mentions later on with regards to the age of uh, Avraham, of Yaakov, that he was 84 years old when he he married um, uh, Rachel and, and Leah he was 84 years old and the only way he was eighty-four years old, he was only sixty-three when he left, and there was only seven years that he worked there, so he was seventy. The only way he became to eighty-four was because we're in, including the fourteen years that he was hidden. Okay. Okay. So why don't we start, uh, Stuart? Why don't you start us off with the first pasuk in Vayitzeh. Jacob
2: departed from Beersheva and went towards Haron
1: Now we know where Yaakov uh, we know where Yaakov lived before right it seems superfluous extra to say where he left for, it should have just said where he went, that he went to uh, Haran right, instead of saying where he left and um, and Rashi explains over here that when a righteous person like Yaakov and despite the fact that Yitzchak was there and Rivka was there but still, uh, when a righteous person like Yaakov leaves, it makes an impression. It leaves an impression on the people over there. So, when it says here Vayetze Yaakov, it is a noticeable uh, leaving that he left over here. Uh, the tzaddik is the, and again, not only Yaakov. There's another uh, tzaddik in there too. But every tzaddik is sort of the glory, is the praise, is the specialty of the, of the. Um, of the city, and by their leaving, they leave an impression. So it's by Yaakov, Yaakov left, and
3: he's he, also leaving his parents' house.
1: He's yes, not on his own. That's right. That's also true. But the the emphasis here is Meber Shava that he leaves Bereshava. Now everybody can tell that he's gone. You know, in other words, there is something missing in the in the city over there. Now, even though it says Horono, what does Horono means? he went to Choron. Choron is where Laban lived, right? but still you'll see that we have a whole incident that takes place in the middle before he actually comes to Choron so Rashi therefore explains Vayela that he's going on the goal to get towards Choron and uh, there is actually a comment that Rashi brings down later on interesting that first he actually, and Rashi quotes from this verse that Yaakov first passed through the entire Israel and he came to Choron, and then he backed, he went back and he went back, so maybe he went to Beersheba and he went to Choron and then he went back from Choron, and then we'll see that he slept on the Mount Maria, we'll, we'll have to explain that because this is a little bit uh, strange over here in this simple text as we, as we will see. But it's just interesting, the Medrash, there's an interesting Medrash that says that the reason Yaakov left of Be'er Sheva, specifically Be'er Sheva, the Medrash says because we find earlier in the Chumash that both his father and his grandfather which means Avraham and Yitzchak they both formed a pact, a, made a treaty a covenant with Avimelech, the king of Pelishtim and they formed a the treaty um, the Medrash says that the cause of this treaty that Avraham made with the Pelishtim That delayed uh, the Jewish people from entering into the land of Israel and conquering for seven generations. So with Abraham, it was delayed for seven generations. And then with Isaac, it was delayed one more generation. It's another seven generations, but it's one generation afterwards. And Yaakov basically said that I have to leave 'er Beersheba because I don't want to make any pact.
0: Again, with also, another, because that's
1: going to delay the even further so basically by Yeti Jacob Be'er Shavah, he left Be'er Shavah. and the Rebbe has an interesting explanation, he says that the um, Abraham and Yitzchak were satisfied by making a pact sort of with the enemy, with the Plishtim uh, with Avimelech Avimelech represents the side, the negative side as long as Abimelech did not go ahead and interfere with their service to Hashem, that was sufficient for Amram and Yitzchak, and therefore they could make a pact with him. And, uh, and the Jews were delayed because of that, because they're not really ready because nobody has worked with the, um, with the other side to try to change them around. But Yaakov said, no way. Yitzchak Yaakov, he says, I'm out of here. I don't want to be in Be'er Sheva because I don't want no pact with the uh, with Abi and the interesting thing is that we find from this whole story, the general story is, despite the fact that Abraham and Yitzchak spend most of their time with their children in Israel and around Israel, nevertheless, both of them had children that when off not in the right way. Even if we're going to say Yishmael did Teshuvah, but still Yishmael's children, we still have plenty of trouble from them even till today. And Esau, of course, was a Russia all the time, and uh, and even according to the uh, interpretation that later on that Esau kissed uh, Yaakov with all of his heart, but it was just a, a temporary incident. But by, mainly, they remained evil. And the reason is because in their service of Avraham and, and Yitzchak, they tolerated, you know, we see Avraham said, oh, Yishmael should live, he's satisfied that Yishmael should make it, you know, he didn't even need Yitzchak. And when Yitzchak said, uh, you know, Yitzchak loved Esau, you know, Kitzayid, Mephiv, and okay, so he tricked them more, but to Yitzchak, Esau was also good. And in other words, they made peace with the... just like they make a covenant with the Pelishtim, with the Avimelech, they accepted it as long as you know, they felt that they weren't disturbing, that they weren't in opposition, so they accepted it. But their children didn't work out. But it is Yaakov who went into the Choron. Now the word Choron, Chorono, Choron means anger. So it really means God's anger, because... It was a place which was so corrupt that God's anger of all the places in the world was in Haran. That was the place of the anger of Hashem. So that means that it was a very, very low and bad place. So despite the fact that Yaakov went down there and he took on all the challenges and he went and he worked through, so still he was able to raise all of his children and to become, because all of his children, yes, they had some incidents, they fought amongst themselves and, you know, other things, but still in the end of the day, they all came out to be uh, tzaddikim it goes to show us that it's not only despite the fact they were there, but maybe because Yaakov went in and he took the effort to try to work in Choron and to change things around and to work with him, he was more able to Make sure that his children would all remain in the in 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 the way of Hashem.
2: But wasn't that just like luck? The way his children—I mean, they wanted to kill one son, and they only by a miracle they didn't kill him.
1: You mean the the brothers wanted to kill Yosef? Are you, that's yeah, what you're talking about. Right. The brother wanted to call Yosef. Yeah. So I mean, again, and even in the simple context, in the simple context, at the end of the day, uh, they all repented and they all returned. And we know, and we know, the main thing is, we know that, you know, when when Yaakov, before his death, he called in all of his children together, and he says, I wanted to tell you what's going to happen with you at the end of days. And then it says that the Divine left him, so he was left with a blank. So he thought, maybe one of his children is uh, sort of not worthy, or maybe they're not uh, fully, in their heart, committed and connected to the teaching and the way of life of Yaakov. So he began to uh, worry about that. And that's why the kids responded and they say, this is what we say, he says, Shema Israel, listen Israel, their father, Yaakov is Israel. Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, which means that <laughs> Kishem, and as the following the sages say, just like in your heart, there is only one. Also in our heart, there is only one. There is only one Hashem, and that's why he responded and he says, Baruch Shem Kevod Machusay He thanked Hashem for that. So at the end of the day, despite the fact that there were sort of uh, uh, problems along the way amongst themselves, and you know, even in the simple text, you know, you can also in somewhat way justify, you know, that you know Yaakov did things as the Gemara brings down that a person should never treat one child better than the other child because you're causing envy, and as we read the story, I mean Yaakov almost brought it up on, even in the very simplest of the text he almost brought it on himself, because he br- brought his jealousies and uh, Yosef did not help the situation either by sort of fermenting that you know that hatred and that so I'm not saying that we're not saying justified or not justified but there was a an element over here that first of all I mean like I'm saying this is even in the simple text I mean on a higher level you know what took place over there needs to be uh, removed from the very simple meaning of things it also has a lot more meaning, and there was a lot of reason. And as we know, Yosef needed to go down to Mitzrayim because Hashem wanted Jacob to go down to Mitzrayim. And Rashi says that Jacob should have gone down with chains of of, of metal to, to 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 Egypt, but Hashem circumvented it in such a way that Yosef was there, and then they went down willingly. But this was all in God's plan because the Jews had to become a people; they had to be go through. The challenges of Mitzrayim, and then they went. So it's, it's more than just it happened. But in the end of the day, when we look at the tribes, we all as Jewish people come for the tribes, and each one of them is holy, and each one of them is special and has their special, unique qualities. Notwithstanding the fact of what took place over there, and with regards to Yaakov, the expression of our sages is "mitosay shalema, that means his bed is whole, meaning all of his children that came out from him. We're all, at the end of the day, we're all tzaddikim. Okay, let's go, let's move on. Okay, Sarah, your turn. You had a long pasuk over there.
0: (laughs) He encountered the place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took from the stones of the place which he arranged around his head and he laid down in that place.
1: So it says here, what did you say that he he encountered that place? What does it mean, that place? I mean, who? what is the place that he's talking about over here? It says, that place. What,
2: where, where he was going to kill Isaac. I mean, Abraham was going to sacrifice
1: Isaac. And that was where? That um, was on the Mount, Mount Maria. Maria. So how 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 does it mean, Bamakom? It says, in the place. See, when in the Torah, when it doesn't say, it says, they came to the place. It's a place that we had already mentioned earlier, somehow... There is a familiarity. There is somehow we know. So since we had written before that he came also to the Mokom asher Oma lo over there before. So when we say ba Mokom means to the place, to the place that is already known from before. Now the second word you said, he said, you said that vayolin shum. You're saying that he slept over there. Why does it say he slept there? Uh, as opposed to saying, "and he slept," you know, there is like a, an emphasis. He slept there. Rashi says that during the fourteen years that he was in the house of Shem Ve'ever, he did not uh, sleep the whole time because um, over there he was busy actually uh, studying Torah the whole time, and um, and uh, he didn't have time for sleeping. Really, he didn't. He didn't waste time. So it was over there. Finally, that he slept. Okay. And then, what did you say, Sarah? Why why did he sleep over there? What did it say in the it's verse? The
0: sun had set.
1: What does it mean? Because the sun has set. Maybe. Because that was the reason why he went to sleep. It doesn't say and the sun set and he went to sleep. Usually, how do we usually do? We don't go to sleep because the sun has set, but we say the sun sets and you go to sleep. Rashi pointed out that Hashem actually wanted him to sleep over there because that was the Mount Maria that was the holy mountain where Hashem wanted him to sleep and therefore Hashem specifically had the sun set early so that he should actually go and make his lodging for that night over there. So the words, kivah Hashemesh, because the sun set, it's almost almost unexpectedly. The sun was not yet really time for it to set, but it set just for the purpose that Yaakov should go ahead and lodge and sleep in that place. Okay? And then what did he do when he lodged over there? Sarah, what did you say? What did he do? He
0: took some stones
1: from the place. From the place. No. What did he take the stones from the place, and what did he do with them?
0: He, he put them around his head and
1: laid down. Why did he put them around his head?
0: To protect him.
1: To protect him. So, what about what was he? What was he protecting from? What? What was he protecting from? Animals. Wild animals, right? Now, why he wasn't afraid they're going to bite off his leg, right? He was only afraid they're going to bite off his head. I mean, uh, he placed them around. It says, "Vayosim." <laughs> that he placed them around his head and uh, so why uh, um, um, now I, I just want to correct myself uh, I said Vayol and Shom he slept over there and not the 14 years that we learn out from Bayishka Ba Mokomahu, he slept in that place so that's the uh, deal to say only in that place he slept but he didn't sleep, sleep, sleep anywhere else not from the words Vayol and Shom as I said earlier but let's go back to this point over here the Rebbe brings out in some of his talks a very, a very powerful message from this, that one needs to make a protection for his head. In other words, um, even you know when we are expected to be involved, like in the in, in the world, you know we have to put effort and you know and it is God's wish that we do things in a natural way. We have jobs and we work and we. We live the life the way God wants us to live in this world. On the contrary, God created us in the physical body so that we do our job while we are in the physical body. But you still need to protect your head. In other words, if you put in the effort, you have to put in the effort, you have to put in with your... External with your lower powers, but the cup, but your head, your most important. That needs to be reserved for holy things, for for study, for for mitzvahs, for for good things, for helping others. That's the head needs to be. Uh, uh, reserved for that so we learn from here that's why he says he placed the stone, the protection he placed around his head because he wanted to make sure that you're going to Choron, he's going to a low place, he's going to a difficult place and there's going to be a lot of challenges but he said my head, even though I'm going to be working there, I'm going to be involved but I'm never going to allow my head to be part of it, my head is going to stay protected all the time there is a story told about a a person who he dealt with galoshes. What was his job? With galoshes, you know, that you wear when it rains. That was his his business, and uh, he was also a chassid from one of the previous rabbis. And um, but he, he, you know, chassid. He was like very much into into the business. So one time when he came to visit the rebbe, the rebbe sort of said to him. I've seen people, he says, put their feet in the galoshes. But I never see anybody put their head in the galoshes. (laughs) Meaning that his whole head was how to make the galoshes work. Now there's another interesting uh, point over here. It says he took from the stones, from the rocks of the place, right? now you'll see later on, all of a sudden it changes to one rock it says later on, when, when he gets up, he says, oh this place is awesome it's a holy place, and he takes the one rock and he makes, makes it into a matseva, he makes it into a monument, now what happened to all the rocks over here, so Rashi brings down over here, that there was actually uh, going on a struggle between all the rocks because each rock said,
0: like "The tzaddik that. is
1: going. I'm going to be the tzaddik is going to put his head on me." Mm-hmm. So they started fighting. Which one should have the privilege, the zuchos, the merit to have the tzaddik put? So God made a miracle. He took from all the different rocks and he made them all into one big rock. So now there's no more fighting.
2: So in, I mean, what you said before about protecting his head, but I had read somewhere else that it was like a pillow.
1: So part of it was to protect him, and he also laid his head on it. But there was once a rabbi who asked a question. He said, so how did the the argument uh, resolve by making it into one rock? But there's still the same problem. We still have the same problem, because... Each space of the rock is going to say, the tzaddik, he can only put his head on one place. So, on each spot is going to say, I want the tzaddik to put it on my spot, not on your spot. So, how did it resolve the, the, the argument by making it all into one rock? It's a Very important lesson here. It's a very, very powerful message over here. You see, if it's one rock, if they're united, they're all together, it doesn't make a difference. Because any place that Sadik puts his head, is placing it on everyone. Because they're all together. It's one rock, so what difference does it make? If you, any spot of the rock is, the, it's only when you're different, when you're separate, when you, the rocks are all different, there's a bunch of them, that there's argument that if you place on one, is not the other one. It's a message to us also that, you know, if we're all separate, and each one is doing their own thing, so then we have, you know, envy, and we have uh, disagreement, we have uh, machloikis, we have fights, because everybody wants to be better than the other one. But if we look at it, that we're all in it together, so when somebody else does something good, it's, it's part. we're all in it together. Very, very interesting message. Okay, Sina, your turn. Um, and he
3: dreamt to behold a ladder set up towards the earth, and the top of it reached heaven and behold angels of Hashem were going up and coming down against him.
1: So, um, this is a, um, a dream that he had, right? I mean, he, he dreamt and um, Yaakov dreamt and then we have Yosef, his son, having dreams later on. Okay. But Yaakov uh, had a dream that there was a ladder staying on the ground and its top reaches all the way to the sky this but, ladder could be, yeah
3: but it says it's set up towards the earth so as if it was set up in Shemayim down towards the earth
1: going that way uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how the English did but in the Hebrew you it says Sulamutzav Arzim meaning it was steadfast standing on the ground the, and
3: and the head, head of it the
1: was going to the heaven so it was placed over here on one side mm-hmm. and the head going into the Shemayim here. Now we're going to learn later on. It's very interesting because there is a big problem over here just to figure out the logistics over here. Because later on we're going to see that the place that he slept, he called it Betkel, and it says over there specifically that it called the name was called Luz. Now we know that this place is Luz is further north from Yerushalayim. So basically, you have Beersheba in the south, Jerusalem is sort of in the middle, and Beit is further north. And uh, we'll talk about it later on, perhaps when we get to that rush over there. But this ladder was in a slant. And uh, we say that the bottom was in Beersheba, and the top was all the way down to uh, Luz. And he saw the angels going up and down. Now, again, that would be a little, in in that case, if we look at a ladder going straight up, sort of, right? I mean, this is only a metaphor for a ladder. So, as we know right now, right now it's not in an angle, but right now it's a straight up. Um, So what were the angels going up and down doing? What were the angels that are going up and down doing? What does he see the angels going up and down? And what is the meaning of this metaphor? that he was seeing in his dream he was seeing the angels going up and down and uh, Rashi explains that the uh, the uh, angels that were with him uh, from Israel um, that when he was leaving 'er Beersheba or now he's about to leave uh, Israel they had to leave Oilin they had to go up they went back to heaven and then we had the new angels, the angels of outside of Israel, apparently there are two different set of angels the angels of Israel take place escort in Israel and the angels of outside of Israel escort outside of Israel because Yaakov was changing places going from Israel to outside of Israel so he had the angels go up and then go down Rashi explains, that's why normally one would expect that the angels first come down, right? Because they they come from the heaven, right? But in the verse it says first what? They go up and then they go down, right? Mm -hmm. So that means so why that? So Rashi explains because first the angels of Israel who escorted him they first went up and then, because they were already down then he had the The angels, the new angels descended that come down from Israel From Israel, from from Chutzlars, from outside of Israel.
2: That city of Louz—is that the people could never tell a lie?
1: No, that's something. No, that's Kush. No, that's another. No, that's something else.
2: What street did Josh live on?
0: He lived on Riveting, but but it was off of Lowe's. Lowe's. Louz.
1: The um, the. there was once a young child who was a prodigy, he ended up being he was a grandson of the Magad of Mezrich, and he was a uh, great rabbi, Rabbi Shraul ruzhner when he was a young boy, and he would read the, in the class, he would read the Chumash, he was very smart and he'd always ask this teacher the questions that the Rashi would ask before he would even study the Rashi, he'd always ask in the verse, he'd ask Rashi's question and when he came to this verse, he didn't ask Rashi's question Rashi's question, of course, is why does it say going up and then going down? By angels, you would expect them to go down and then to go up. But he came to this verse, the child didn't ask any questions. So the teacher asks him, uh, why aren't you asking the question? He says, he has no questions. He says, why not? So then the rabbi tells him what the problem is. He says, I didn't have that question. It says in a dream. You don't ask questions on a dream. <laughs> okay? Okay, Stuart, your turn. and
2: And behold Hashem was standing over him and he said I am Hashem God of Abraham your father and God of Isaac the ground upon which you are lying to you will I give it and to your descendants
1: Okay, so Hashem is telling him that who is going to get the land not other children of Yitzchak but to you, Yaakov as the son of Yitzchak, and also to your descendants, descendants of Yaakov, is going to get the land. Now again, read the verse, you're saying, the land, the earth, how does he say that? The land that you land. are, the ground that you are. Lying. How, how big do you think that is? How how, how big would you think Yaakov was? Oh
2: that, that must seven. have
1: been a big gift that God gave him, right? Yeah, yeah, he he said, the ground on, that you're them laying them huh? them the ground them. that you're laying on it alright, let's give him a few few extra boxes there, that wouldn't make such a big deal God is telling him Ah, Yitzchok, you should know the ground that you're laying on I'm going to give it to you No, that's not such a big uh, gift that's not such a big present why is this God making such a big deal but that's why Rashi says that actually, God folded the entire Eretz Yisrael, entire Israel, underneath the place where Yitzchak was sleeping, and he sort of gave him all of Israel. Now, why did God have to fold it and do it in such a way? I mean, God could have said the the uh, the, 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 the the whole the whole the whole land of Israel instead of saying the place that you're sleeping on. I mean, I guess one can argue that. Uh, this is what the uh, means, the land that you're sleeping on, you're sleeping on part of it. But, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, the whole earth is connected, so he's also sleeping on pieces that are not Israel. So how is Israel defined there? So that's why Rashi probably says that, mamish was you were sleeping on, and uh, he folded it underneath it. But Rashi says that God was telling him that it would be easy for his children to conquer the land just like the small piece of land he's laying on that so that's not such a big deal so that's why God uses the language and that's why God folded all of Israel underneath him so to tell him that he can it will be easy for him to capture the entire land of Israel now,
2: yeah? it? it says I am Hashem God of Abraham your father Obviously, that was his grandfather, but a father and a grandfather can be considered the
1: same person. Many time we called us, yeah. Many time we called
2: and and God
1: of Isaac. Very good. Now, usually, uh, Rashi points out that usually uh, we don't. uh, God does not say a God of a person during that person's life. In the whole entire, generally in the Chumash, we don't find God saying. That he's the God of somebody during the person's lifetime. You know why? Because there's a verse we never know what a person's ends of the life, you know, uh, how you'll turn out. So, at the end, we don't know. You know, we have, like, for example, we have Yochanan Kohen Gadol. He was a high priest. He was a high priest and he went into the temple, into the Kodesh HaKadoshim for 80 years. And then he became a tzeduki. He became a tzedakis uh, who who went away from the Torah. So, you know, to go in for 80 Eighty years into the holy of holiest uh, he had to be a righteous person because you couldn't uh, live the year if you weren't righteous if you went into the holy of holiest right so that means that he was a uh, he was a righteous and then righteous person for eighty years of his life that he was a Kohen goddel and then he became a suuki so the, the point here is, we don't find God saying the God of anyone who is still living. But this is an exception, Rashi says. In our passage, God makes an exception and calls him the God of Yitzchak. Because Yitzchak was already, we learned before, was blind. And he was confined to his house. And because he was blind and confined to his house, uh, he didn't really have much of a Yitzchak, much of an inclination to do anything bad. And therefore, he was sort of the exception that we knew that he is going to follow through and that he's going to remain okay. And God could say Elokei Yitzchak on him as an exception to the rule. But usually, actually, we would not say Elokei of somebody who is still alive during that time. Okay, Sarah, next Pasuk. Um, 14.
0: Yes. Your offspring shall be as the dust of the earth. And you shall spread out powerfully westward, eastward, northward, and southward, and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you and by your offspring.
1: So this is the famous pasuk of Ufaratsta. You know, Ufaratsta. By the way, Faratsta is the numerical value of seven seventy. This year is Toshin Ayin. Is also seven seventy. By the way, it's without the vav. People make a mistake. Ufaratsta actually is 776 Um, if God forbid Mashiach doesn't come they'll use it for 776 but but we're sure, we're definite that Mashiach will come here by then and we'll just have the foratstah and we'll do the foratstah then but the foratstah, numerical value is 770 and this was the uh, motto of uh, of uh, of Yaakov and uh, Hashem is telling him that he will burst out, and he will have influences in, in all four corners of the uh, of the world, and mainly that all the families of the, world, of the earth will bless themselves. What does it mean when we say Sarah, that they will bless themselves? What means they will bless themselves with you? How do you say this in English over there?
2: They shall bless themselves by you. What does it
1: mean? What does it mean What does it mean when we say they will bless themselves by you? What does that mean?
2: That the Jews are going to get like major, major brachas and then they'll, they'll get some of them? The other Gentile people?
1: What does it mean they'll bless by you? Rashi said already many times before, Rashi mentions this, that when somebody looks up and says, Oh, these are great people. That means people bless themselves and say, Well, you should be like these people. In other words, when somebody is so blessed from God, that they have so much, so other people say, oh, I, we should be, so the nations of the world will be blessed by the Jews, and say, we should be like them. So this is sort of a blessing to Yaakov, saying that his seed will be so successful, they will be so well off in all aspects, that everybody will bless themselves as, oh, let's be like them. Sina, your turn.
3: And behold, I am with thee, you, and will guard you wherever you go, and will bring you back unto the soil. for I will not leave you until I have accomplished that which I have spoken to you
1: about. Okay, now, this is actually the first time that God is speaking to Jacob. We don't find that God talked to Jacob before. We found that uh, before Yitzchak, but to Jacob this is the first time. First communication with him, right? So what does it mean when he says Until I will do that that I have spoken How, What did you say? Until you will do that what I have spoken
3: I will not leave you Until I have accomplished that which I have spoken
1: to To you But Hashem hasn't spoken to him yet before Ever before <coughs> What does it mean that I have spoken to you <coughs> And Rashi says I have spoken God. with regards to you even though it says to you, but it means about you. Right? She says that this is the talking, what Hashem said to Abraham and to Yitzchak that he's spoken to them with regards the blessings that God says to them, that your seed and all the promises that is about you, that's really going to take place. So that doesn't mean what he has spoken, which God has spoken to him, but it really means what
2: but He just spoke to him a few minutes before he told him I was going to give him the land. And make his offspring like the dust
1: of the earth. Yeah, but you're not going to say, "Oh, I'll do what I did." The uh, means that that I have. It's oh, a past something that took place. I mean, it doesn't make sense telling him, and I'm do. I'm telling you something, and I'm going to do what I'm well, telling you something.
2: You know, you might, you, might uh, you tell one of the kids to do something, and you know, take Excuse out the garbage or whatever, and then you kind of you know help your mother clean up the house or whatever
1: i guess with Ab- with hashem and jacob it maybe wasn't as necessary as <laughs> but um but hashem gives him a lot of promises now why why did hashem all of a sudden um have to come to him and give him all these promises
2: Maybe when he spoke to, because I can, what I'm thinking now is, I will not forsake you until I have done what I have spoken about you. Yes, right. So maybe he means when he, when he told either Abraham or Isaac about the 400 years they're going to be a stranger in a strange land or whatever, and maybe he's reassuring them that he'll make sure he'll bring them back to Yerushalayim.
1: Okay, that's also a, a good thought, but more specific now Yaakov was in a lot of danger, let's not forget, because Asaph was chasing him. Asaph was a murderer, and Yaakov was actually afraid from Esau. Um And, um, um, so, and he's also going into the lions then. Laban was no, uh, no piece of cake either. I mean, Laban was uh, also problems. So, Hashem is basically reassuring him that he shouldn't be afraid from of 11. Um, because Hashem says to him that he's going to fulfill everything that he told him. Matter of fact, Rashi quotes later on also that Yaakov had—I'm not sure exactly at what point—but Yaakov had a tough encounter with Eliphaz, who was the son of Esav. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Esav sent his son Eliphaz to go ahead and kill, uh, and to kill Yaakov. Um, but because Eliphaz grew up with, under Yitzchak, uh, Eliphaz wasn't gonna kill him and Eliphaz says to Yaakov, "What well, what could I do I says, I can't kill you, but uh, but what could I do because my father instructed me to kill you and Yaakov told him, uh, why don't you take everything that I own and a person who is poor is considered like a person who is dead and therefore you will be fulfilling your father's command and you won't kill me, so I don't know exactly at what point that took place but conceivably, uh, Rashi doesn't bring it down over here, but conceivably, he also needed God's protection because he saw already, he just had an encounter with Eliphaz. Eliphaz was chasing him. So, okay, so what are we going to, we're up to the next pasik, let's finish up the one more pasik over here. By Yikatz, Yaakov Bishnoso.
0: Jacob awoke from his sleep. And said, "Surely Hashem is present in this place, and I did not know."
1: So he wakes up. This is all in the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Hashem came to him in a dream, and everything else. Mm-hmm. But so he said, he wakes up from his dream, and he says that you know Hashem is here because he realized that this was the the, the place of the Mikdush and This is why the uh, whole things happened. That he went to sleep, and the sun set, and everything else. Okay, continue another verse.
0: And he became frightened and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the abode of Hashem, and this is the gate of the heavens.
1: Now, the awesome of the places, this is the Beta Lukim. So this is first exactly, very uh, clearly the Beta Lukim. What is the Beta Lukim? That's the Beta Mikdash. That's the house of God. What is the house of God? What is the house of God? The Beit HaMikdash. That's where Hashem dwells. I will dwell amongst you. That's the home of God. What does it mean? This is the gate to the heavens. Either it means that the Beit HaMikdash is the gate to the heavens because when you pray in the Beit HaMikdash, that has the profound power to get up to Shemaim. So that becomes... So what is the gate to the heavens? The Beta HaMikdash is the gate to the heavens, in one commentary, Rashi. Because that's where the prayers go through. So that is the opening sort of the, the gate for the prayers. But Rashi also says that the gate to the heavens means that the Beit HaMikdash, the temple, the spiritual temple, is directed accurately opposite the uh, Beit HaMikdash of below. Mm -hmm. And therefore, this is the gate of the heaven, meaning that's the opening also of the Beit HaMikdash of above, so that the prayers from here go to the gate to the Beit HaMikdash above. Mm -hmm. But the problem that we have over here is is a logistical problem over here. Because as we'll see, let's just do this and we'll, we'll finish with this thought. But let me, let Sina, you know, why don't you just read the next uh, two verses and we'll just uh, concentrate on this issue over here. Say verse uh, 18.
3: And Yaakov rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had placed at his head and set it up as a memorial stone and poured oil on the top of it. Next one. And he called the name of the place Beit Kael, but formerly the name of the city was
1: Luz. So this is where we come into the problem that I was talking about before. So Rashi addresses this problem over here that this Luz was much further north of of, of Jerusalem. And so what does it mean? How do we... The, the Beit HaMikdash was in Yerushalayim and, and Rashi goes through gives you the territories where are, how they divided the lands by the by the different Shvatim, by the different tribes where it stands it's not so important the exact uh, the exact places but we know Be'er Sheva is the south, Jerusalem is in the middle loses to the north so what happened, where was the latter? you know, and also we learned before going up and down and according to that interpretation up and down seems to me again. I'm just throwing out there I mean, I have to look more in the commentaries, but just in the simple uh, when I read when I read when I read this, you know, up and down seems to be that the ladder is straight because he needed wherever he was, they were leave, going up and they were going down. We have a little problem with that ladder going up and down over there, also because if that was Jerusalem, why were they leaving yet? If that if he was sleeping in the Temple Mount in the Beit Hamikdash. Uh, why would he need the angels to, to to go up already? He still had plenty of place in Israel uh, before they're, they're leaving. They didn't have to leave him, unless it was a metaphor for something that's going to take place when he leaves. But it didn't happen right then and there. Uh, in one comment Rashi makes that the ladder was sort of a slanted ladder. So it stood in Be'er Sheva, and it ended up in, uh, in, in, in Luz, and the middle point of the ladder was Yerushalayim. And when we say, Einzekim he's talking about, I guess, in the middle of the ladder. And uh, and he was on the other side of the ladder. Something like that. But Rashi brings down from the Gomorrah, from other places, and it seems like Rashi buys into that, into that shot. That what actually happened over here, was that, Uh, Yaakov passed by Jerusalem and didn't stop by the Beit HaMikdash. And God didn't stop him there, even though we learned Kibba HaShemesh, God wanted him to sleep there. Because God said, if he doesn't pay attention to go and pray where his parents prayed, because we know Avram and Yitzchak, when we learned before that Avram prayed, that Yitzchak lasuach basoda, it was all in the Har Maria, they all prayed on the Mount Maria. He passes by there and he doesn't pray. So God said, if he's not going to stop by, I'm not going to stop him. And he passes through, he goes all the way to Choron. When he came to Choron, he felt bad. He felt bad that he didn't stop by Yerushalayim, that he didn't pray. So he goes back and he makes a reverse. And he starts walking back, but he only came back until Eretz till Luz. That's where he came back. God miraculously had the Mount Maria sort of moved to where he was. Because now already that he's paying attention. So there was a, we learned that there was a Kfitsa Saderach, the way jumped. So now the, instead of Hashem having him go from here all the way back to Yerushalayim, he now is standing in his place over there. And Kfitsa Saderach means the way jumps, meaning he is like he is in Yerushalayim he is, even though there Hashem pulled when we say Kvitzadeh it doesn't mean that he went quickly there, but it also means that the ground came there so sort of the Beis HaMikdush came there and when he says this is the Beis Lukim, this is the Shara Shemaim it's all talking about Luz, all there but because when he went back when he came from Choram back, that's when it all happened ok, that's just the matter still need to figure this out there's a lot to cover on that, but this is just one thought about it Okay, and we'll leave that. We'll, much, much. we'll meet. We'll meet next week again. Okay. Are
3: you too
1: tired? Oh, too tired. Yeah. Um, I guess Sunday. Yeah. We gotta be back Monday. Okay. Thank you very much.